This morning we're going to conclude our study of the book of Micah. And if you will, keep your Bibles open there to Micah chapter 6 and 7. Micah chapter 6 and 7. I want to talk this morning and emphasize by beginning and talk about going to court. It's been my misfortune several times in my life to attend a court hearing. And when you go to the court, you realize that there are both a plaintiff and a defendant. There are those who are there making a complaint against someone else. It may in some cases be the state. And there's a person who's defending himself saying, I'm not guilty, I did not do that which I am charged of doing. There is a judge who is an impartial uh, arbiter, if you will, between the two parties. And then sometimes he also functions as the jury. And then you have those who have been chosen as a, a group of people within the community to make a decision whether or not which one is correct and which one is right. I've sat there as a witness for those who were defendants. I've been there as a member of a jury. And I have observed what people say and what people do. And one of the things that will be emphasized is that it is necessary to prove the charges against the other person. And then that other person must defend himself against those kinds of charges. Ultimately, the judgment is rendered and the penalty is to be paid. The person who either made a charge falsely or the person who was guilty has to make sure that he pays the penalty for what he has done. Well, as we've studied through the book of Micah, there have been three major messages. The first one was that of retribution. The children of Israel got what they deserved. God punished them. There was retribution in it. Last Sunday evening, we talked about restoration. How that the people of God had a, they were going to be brought back. God had a plan and that plan involved the church. But when you get to chapter 6 and 7, there is a focus that changes to that of repentance. And the three things that we want to look at as we study chapter 6 and 7 is first of all God's complaint. He lodges a complaint against Israel like in a court setting. Second of all, he seeks a confession on their part. You know, he wants man to say, yes, I have sinned and I'm seeking your forgiveness. Which brings on the final part, and that is the compassion of God. That he truly does care about you and I and about where we stand before him. With our Bibles open and our minds open, let's begin our study in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. You see, you begin with the Lord beginning by saying, I've got a complaint. Both sides are going to present their case and God is going to present his. And you know, the truth is some people really want their day in court. 
They feel as if they can stand before God and say whatever they want to say. Job, in Job chapter 9, expresses that to some degree, recognizing that man does not always want to stand before God in judgment. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If I want to be able to stand before God, how can I stand and say, I'm right and God's wrong? You can't do that. Dropping down to verses 14 and 15. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. Job realized, if I go and I stand before God, God is always right. He makes no mistakes. Should God lodge a complaint against me, it's always going to be my fault. In verses 19 and 20, If it is a matter of strength, indeed he is strong. And if it is of justice, who will appoint my day in court? I want to be able to present my side Even though I recognize, he says, my own mouth would condemn me and I would be proven perverse. But you see, in this case, the unfaithful are challenged. Bring forth your strong reasons. Prove it before the hills and before the mountains. Let them be the jury. Let them listen. In Isaiah 41 and verse 21, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. You put yourself in the children of Israel's place. God says, now I want you to present yourself and present your defense before me. Now here's what God does. God looks at them and says, if you've got anything you think I did wrong, present it now. What a challenge. For God to say, I didn't do anything wrong. And here's here's an opportunity for you to speak. In Micah chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. From Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that they you may know the righteousness of the Lord. God said, where, where have I failed you? Did I fail to take care of you when you were in a position of sadness and a position of bondage? No, he said, I provided those who did that. As you continue on with the complaint in verses 6 and 7, the question is asked, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The question is asked, what will it take to satisfy the complaint that God has raised? What would it take to resolve the case? You see, in their minds, they're they're mulling through and they're saying, what could we offer? 
And in their minds, they start thinking about the sacrifices they could offer and how much they could offer. And they have a perverted sense that a person can buy their innocence. You know, we live in a world today where there's a lack of justice. The rich man can pay a tremendous amount of money and avoid spending any time in prison. We say he gets away with his crime. That doesn't work with God. Notice 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 with regards to Saul. And Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. You see, in Saul's mind, if I can offer more sacrifices, that makes me more innocent with God. No, it doesn't. Or if you go to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 15, he asks, to what is the purpose of the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And when you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile or vain sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. You see, God says, I am weary of bearing them. I'm tired of you people bringing sacrifices and thinking that's going to make everything okay. Folks, that's something to think about for us. How when a person says, okay, what will it take for me to be right with God? And someone says, well, I'll give more. Or someone says, I'll find more opportunities to give other things. But God said, that's not what I'm looking for. Because there's a misunderstanding of the seriousness of sin. In some people's eyes, being a criminal is not that serious of a thing. Being a sinner is not that serious of a thing. Well, let me remind you that Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Sin is so serious, sin is so uh, grievous that you can't offer enough sacrifices. And let me tell you, you can't give enough money, you can't give enough time, you can't give enough everything else to pay for your sins. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. So as the Lord raises his complaint against Israel, he said, Israel, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to this complaint? Oh, then you get to chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Such powerful verses. He has shown you, O oh man, what is a good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The Lord's voice cries to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. 
Hear the rod. Who has appointed it? He has shown. You know, it would be easy for people to say, I don't know what God wants out of me. I don't understand what God is expecting me to do. Well, he says to Israel, he has shown you. Past tense, you already know about this. When the children of Israel stood ready to cross over into the promised land, Moses delivered to that new generation a message. And here's what he said in chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. What God is asking you to do is to put him first and to serve him first. Well, that's what Jesus himself taught in Matthew 22, verses 38 through 40. But then he says to do justly. When you think about doing something just, that's treating somebody right. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And what the Lord wants you to do is to treat somebody else the way they ought to be treated. To love mercy. To treat people like you yourself want to be treated. I am glad that God is a merciful God and he expects me to be merciful as well. And Luke 6, 35, love your enemies, do good, lend nothing, hoping nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. That means that if somebody hates me, somebody does me evil, I don't return evil for evil, I return good for evil. Then he says to walk humbly with him. Submit yourself to him. Do what he would have you to do. Luke 18, verse 13, you see the tax collector standing far off would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, beat himself on the breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Humbly recognizing, God, I know I am the sinner. I know I have been the one who's made the mistakes. He says, hear the rod and the one who appointed it. Listen and hear God's threat of punishment toward you. And thus you have an incentive to try to change your ways. Very quickly, verses 14 and 15. You'll eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. He said, what you rescue, I'll give over to the sword. You don't respond with obedience things are not going to turn out well there's consequences to your choices so you begin first of all with the Lord's complaint but then you move to Micah chapter 7 and let's look at verses 1 through 4 as God seeks a confession out of his people woe is me For I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There's no cluster to eat of first ripe fruit, which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. They're all lying wait for blood. Every man hunts 
his brother with a net, that they may successfully do evil with both hands. The prince asks for gifts, the judge seeks a bribe, the great man utters his evil desire, so they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman and your punishment comes, now shall be their perplexity. He begins with that phrase, Woe is me. Look at myself. What if God looks at me and says, Okay, Tony, I'm going to punish you. You for your sins, the mistakes that you have made. Woe is me. Very similar to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6 and verse 5. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm living in an ungodly world. You know what? I'm living in an ungodly world too. Am I letting it be a part of my life? We're not going to read all of Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 through 8, but I do want to draw attention to the fact that you have Ezra. What he does, he arises rises from the evening sacrifice, fasting, having torn his garment. He said, I fell to my knees, spread out my hands to the Lord God and said, Oh Lord God, I'm too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. He said, Our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up into the heavens. How do you look at the sins that you have? Are you willing to say, yes, I am a sinner? Are you willing to own your sin? Well, that's exactly what Micah is facing. Verses 7 and 8, he said, Since the days of our fathers this day, we've been very guilty. And he talks about the princes, the priests, the kings, and that God wants a revival among people. What's it going to take? It's essential that you and I own up to our own failures. That when I sin, I acknowledge my sin. 1 John 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that say? God expects Tony, God expects you to acknowledge the sins that we have. Psalm 32 verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess the transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I said, I'm going to confess it, and when you do, what does God do? God forgives. You see, what's God looking for out of me? What's He looking for out of you? When He's bringing this complaint, I watch some of these shows like uh, Dateline and 2020 and 48 Hours. And I see people who've been brought in for an interview before the police. And what they're seeking out of them is a confession that they have committed a crime. What is God looking for out of us? He's offering us an opportunity to confess. And then when He does, He will express His compassion. Go with me to chapter 7 now. Let's look at verse 7 and then again as we look at verses 18 through 20. Therefore I will look to the Lord. 
I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And then when you get to verse 18, Brother Jason read them for us just a few moments ago, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. I love the way he puts this. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God forgives the penitent. God is just. God is fair. When you and I come and say, I acknowledge my guilt, God is saying, okay, I'm ready and willing to show you compassion. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When Jonah had returned from preaching to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented, Jonah recognized this great feature about God He said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. In Luke 15, you've got a lost sheep, a lost coin, And a lost son. And you've got to understand the perspective of heaven. When you have someone who has been a sinner and comes back. And Jesus says, I say to you likewise, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Do you know what God would do? Do you know what the angels of heaven would do? If you are not a Christian this morning and you come forward and you say, I want to be a Christian. I can assure you one thing, there will be joy in this room, but there will be true joy in heaven. I can tell you if you're a Christian who's been carrying a burden of sin and you know that you need to take care of it, and you decide this morning, hey, I'm going to take care of it. The mercy of God is there. God's case against Israel was justified. He raised a complaint and the hills and the mountains were to listen and judge. God was right. Israel was wrong. Too many are trying to find the wrong way out of their sins. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy You see, that's the the issue. Am I trying to hide my sins? Am I trying to keep anybody else, and including God, from not knowing what's going on? That won't work. God loves you. God wants to forgive you. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says he has all 
desire that all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What a wonderful message the book of Micah has to offer to us. The retribution of God, the restoration, and now the lesson on repentance. How are you going to respond to the Lord's message? We're going to sing the song, I bring my sins to thee. What's well, a powerful song in itself. If you're not a Christian, why not come because you believe in Christ, repenting of those sins, confess your faith in Christ, and be baptized. What the Bible says, that will remit, forgive, wash away all of your sins. Then you stand pure and holy before God. If you're a Christian and you need to come, bring your sins to the Lord. Let's pray together. Would you come while together we stand and say?